A citizen is one that recognizes their insufficiency and their dependence upon others. A consumer is one who acts primarily according to preference. That is, they do not act out of a sense of responsibility. They act primarily according to self-interest. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part one of Disillusioned, Distracted, and Discontent from Pastor Paul Twiss in six parts. The teaching in this series is taken from a 2019 Sundays in July seminar at Grace Community Church. In previous messages, you may have heard Pastor Paul allude to consumerism that all too well characterizes our society and has certainly now penetrated our churches. Today's theme will contrast consumerism with citizenship. You may not have thought about this contrast, but Pastor Paul's observation is succinct. Quote, A citizen is one that recognizes their insufficiency and depends on others. A consumer acts primarily according to preference. They do not act out of a sense of responsibility. They act primarily according to self-interest. End quote. Scripture speaks of citizenship. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, which is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians. That citizenship injects health into our local church. God's Word presents the church as an interdependent body. Here's part one of Disillusioned, Distracted, and Discontent. Disillusioned, distracted, and discontent, searching for a biblical antidote to the present cultural moment. What on earth does that mean? Let me just back up a little bit and try and explain what the goal of this seminar was originally. About a year ago, I realized that a number of issues that had come uh, my way within the church, when you really think through those issues at a fundamental level, they were issues of discontentment. Uh, Not all of them, but I just realized a number of issues that had come to me were in essence issues of discontentment. And so I thought to myself, I really want to think through what the Bible says about contentment and maybe even put together a sermon series on that topic. At that point, I would just pause and say, if you do want to read a good book on contentment, the classic that many of you are aware of uh, is written by a man called Jeremiah Burroughs. It's a Puritan paperback, and it's called The Rare Jewel, of Christian contentment. That would be the go-to book that I'd recommend to all of you on the topic of contentment. What I realized as I was working through and thinking about what the Bible says about contentment and discontentment, and it's not as simple as simply looking up every text that has the word contentment in it and, hey, presto, you've got a magic formula. Uh, We like formulas and we like quick fixes, and this is an area where there is no quick fix. And so as I was thinking through the topic of contentment, the seminar that I had in my mind just kept growing and growing and growing. Uh, What is normally true is that if a person is discontent, there are a number of other issues going on as well. There are other issues that are kind of attaching themselves or feeding that sense of discontentment. And so the seminar kept growing 
And uh, it was really kind of difficult to nail down what exactly am I going to say and what am I trying to achieve here. To that end, I would say don't pay too much attention to the title, at least not those three Ds at the beginning. Uh, they're not my points today, and I'm not striving for alliteration in any sense. If you are going to linger on any part of the title, it would be that very last part of the subheading, uh, that is the present cultural moment. What you need to realize is that we live in a moment. Uh, we live in a particular time in history, and we live in a particular place in the world. And those two things contribute to the issues that we face, and we're in a moment. And we think, people typically think, that the moment that they live in in history is the most important moment, and it never is. This moment will pass. And it will pass very quickly, and future generations will look back at us, and they'll laugh about the things that we used to do as a people and the things that we used to believe as a society and so on and so forth, it will pass. And so the issues that we face are, in some senses, unique to us. Now, what defines those issues or what defines the society we live in, the answer is culture. One of the biggest mistakes that people make is to think that politics is what defines the time we live in. Politics never leads Politics always follows. Politics is not the determining factor in shaping a society or a culture. Uh, politics always follows the views and the thoughts and the desires and the wishes of the society, the masses. And so what we need to do in order to understand discontentment at an individual level is to zoom out and to look at society. And really, that's what part one of this seminar series is about. It is trying to analyze the prevailing issues that face us as a society. I want to make a few caveats at this point. Today is a fairly negative presentation. I do think there are some positive observations that we could make about the time in which we live. There are a number of very positive things that we could say about the society and the time and the moment in which we live but my goal is to consider what are the issues. Secondly, I would say that you have to understand what I'm observing, the observations I make today, relate mostly to society. I'm not trying to speak about the church per se. So we really are zooming out and saying, as a society, what are the issues? I'm not speaking directly about the church. Now, with that said, it's important to to know that there is always, sadly, a direction of influence between those two entities, society and the church, and it's only ever in one direction. Sadly, it's always the case that there is a direction of influence from society into the church. So that if the church is not careful, then over time, views that are represented in society start to get affirmed within the church. So I'm representing today issues that face society, not the church, but be mindful of that direction of influence that is always present. Uh, thirdly, I'm not trying to give you this morning a sermon from a text. We're not going to open our Bibles and work through a text, and that's okay. This is not an expository sermon. Next week, what I want to do is to open the Bible and to look at just one idea, one doctrine that we find in Scripture and my argument will be that this one doctrine really addresses most, if not all, of the issues that I'm going to talk about today. 
I have nine observations today. You know, it's funny, when I started preaching, which was not all that long ago, I had this kind of conviction that I was not going to be a three-point preacher and that my points would not be alliterated. And I had no reason for that, but it was a fairly strong conviction in me that I was not going to bring three points to the pulpit every week and, and there's no way they're all going to begin with D <laughs> or P. P is the easiest letter to alliterate with. And then what happened over time is that I just found, I mean, week after week, you know what? The passage just divides into three. <laughs> <laughs> and when you look at what is happening in each point, they all begin with the same letter. And so... Those sermons, I was kind of annoyed at myself every time I preached them. This morning, I'm rejoicing that I have nine observations, and there is no alliteration. There is no sense of parallelism at all in my points. Okay, observation number one, what are the issues facing this present cultural moment? Number one, we are no longer citizens. Now, I know immediately... At least in some of your minds, there is a sense of irony. On July 4th weekend, here's the Brit talking to you guys about the fact that we're not citizens. It is a sad reality that you guys are no longer citizens of the empire. And you do have to come to terms with that but I'm not talking about the color of your passport. I'm not talking about any paperwork that you may have or may not have. The word citizen, in its truest sense, in its original sense, meant somebody who belongs to a city. Or you might say more fundamentally, somebody who belongs amongst other people. So it had nothing to do with your nationality or your passport, but it had everything to do with your relationship with those around you. And so citizenship truly understood entailed an awareness of your dependence upon other people. To be a citizen was to acknowledge that you belonged amongst these people and that you were dependent upon them. Uh, Plato said in The Republic that the roots of a just city is the mutual recognition of our insufficiency. You see, proper citizenship begins with an acknowledgement that we are incredibly dependent upon one another, that we need each other. Uh, the Puritan William Perkins in the 16th century talked about citizenship as a vocation. He said, citizenship is a vocation or a calling ordained and imposed upon man for the common good because none of us is God because none of us is God. So we live as citizens in a state of mutual dependence upon one another. The problem is that we have lost our awareness of that dependence. So I'm not saying that we've lost the dependence itself. In fact, our lives are still highly interconnected and we are still very, very, very much dependent upon one another what is true, though, is that we live in a time where we have lost our awareness of that dependence upon one another. So just think, by way of example, of your journey here to church this morning. 
you exercised in a very long-term way a dependence upon the engineers that designed your car for you to even be able to have a car. You exercised a dependence upon the mechanics who built your car and who service your car in order for you to be able to drive it this morning. You then exercised a dependence on those that maintain the roads in order for you to be able to drive on the road. You exercised a dependence upon the church security staff who so faithfully open up the campus early every morning in order to park in the parking lot. And then you exercised a dependence on the facility staff who laid out all the chairs that you're sitting on, or maybe not. And then we all exercised a dependence on the sound staff in order that I could have a microphone on today. And yet probably it is true that not one of us thought about any of those people at any point this morning. We are highly dependent upon one another and our lives are very, very interconnected. But we have lost the awareness of our dependence. Think about the fact that it is very difficult today when you call a business or a company, it's actually very difficult to speak to someone. Have you noticed that? It's very difficult to speak to a person. And there's almost a sense in which we understand that we need to exercise this dependence by virtue of the fact that they try to make the computer sound as human-like as possible. <laughs> and they, I think, really insult your intelligence by adding that keyboard sound that now has come in, as if to say this really is a person taking notes, and we know it's not. But the fact remains that we can't really speak to anyone when we call a company. Think about your neighborhood. You might know the names of your neighbors, maybe. You might even know a few things about them. But you probably are not involved in their lives or aware of how your lives intersect in the way that a neighborhood would have been all of 50 years ago. We've lost sight of our interdependence, and it's not a good thing. Why is this not a good thing? Why is it problematic? If William Perkins was right that citizenship is a calling put upon us because we are not God, then to lose the awareness of our mutual dependence is, in a sense, to start to perceive ourselves as more godlike than we are. It is to start to view ourselves as fine, okay, if we're independent. We think that we are self-made self-makers and that there isn't a problem with that. And what that then does is it prompts us to exercise our citizenship even less. Because we believe that we can exercise independent from those around us, that we can live our lives independent from those around us, we start to pursue that very path. This generates over time a depersonalized society, a society that is depersonalized. We may live in a city around many other people, but we are not citizens. We are not living in the truest sense of the word as citizens. It's been said that we're the people of patios, not porches. What does that mean? We're the people of patios, not porches, both a patio and a porch is an extension of your house into the outside world, but there's a key difference. The porch on the front is where you sit and you're inviting the world to engage with your family. You sit of an evening and the world passes by and it's an open invitation to engage with your family. The patio sends a very different message. The patios are in the back of the house and it says, please do not engage with my family. 
we're living highly independent, depersonalized lives. We're not citizens. And I think that one of the main catalysts for discontentment today is that we are trying to live these highly individualistic lives when God made us to live in community, depending on one another and recognizing our own insufficiencies. Point number one, we're no longer citizens. That leads to point number two, we are now consumers. We are now consumers. If you were to ask what's the opposite of a citizen, the answer is a consumer. Uh, How is that so? A citizen is one that recognizes their insufficiency and their dependence upon others. A consumer is one who acts primarily according to preference. That is, they do not act out of a sense of responsibility. They act primarily according to self-interest. That is not according to the interest or the benefit of others. They are someone who is living increasingly in a state of isolation. If all of your decisions are made based on your own self-interest, not based on a sense of responsibility towards others and not based on any consideration of the benefit of others, then you are forcing yourself down a path, increasingly so, of isolationism. And that is a consumer. Now, we've said a number of times that we live in a consumer society. And when people say that, they normally are referring to the most evident manifestation of our consumerism, which is our spending habits. We are a people that like stuff. We like to have a lot of stuff. We like to purchase, to buy. And we're we're making those purchases based on self-preference. In fact, we do that now to the degree that it hurts us. We're a generation that spends now and considers how we're going to pay for it later, which is incredibly irresponsible and is often to our own detriment. You need to think about consumerism beyond simply spending habits. That is the most evident manifestation of consumeristic tendencies, but consumerism is a way of life. It's a worldview. It's a way of thinking about the world. It's acting according to self-preference without any sense of responsibility to those around you. Now, how is it that we have got to a point where we are a consumer society? We have not been faced with the prospect of near-term death. Now, let me just explain that and unpack that a little bit. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, the average lifespan was 30 years. After the Industrial Revolution, now, it's hovering around about 80, maybe a little bit more. Up until the Industrial Revolution, you could say that the the story of the human race was essentially a story of considering how it is that we're going to survive. Every generation prior to the Industrial Revolution was faced with the prospect of near-term death, either simply by virtue of the circumstances they were in or by particular events that faced them, such as war or famine or any kind of natural disaster that would wipe out a generation. Infant mortality rates prior to the Industrial Revolution were incredibly high compared to relative to what they are today. And that's not the case for us. We are a generation that is not faced with the prospect of near-term death. Now, this is not a criticism. There's a number of things that I'm going to say today that are not criticisms. They're simply observations, but they're observations that do have consequences. Thankfully, we are able to give ourselves to the consideration of things other than how do we survive. So 
pre-industrial revolution, the main question facing any society was, how are we going to survive? We don't ask that question. It's assumed that we will. And so the question that we start to ask as a society is quite simply, what do I do with my time? That's the question that we ask. Whether we realize it or not, the question that we're consumed with is, what do I do with my time? That leads us to become a people who are more and more defined by the idea of leisure because we are not facing near-term death. And that's when we start to exercise our consumeristic tendencies. That's when we start to have the ability to make choices based on preference because we don't need to think about our survival. We can make choices based on self-interest because we're not involved in this corporate struggle to simply exist. And we can care less about our responsibility towards others because it looks like just about everyone's doing okay. We've actually become very good at exercising those consumeristic tendencies. We're not helped by choice. Consumerism and choice go hand in hand. They are best friends. And we live in an age where we have more choice than we know what to do with. Uh, I went to the store the other day. There was this weird thing called Fourth of July, and <laughs> y'all was celebrating something. <laughs> so I... I just said, whatever, fine, I'll take a day off work. So I went to the store and my son said, please, can you get pickles for the burgers? Absolutely. I mean, there were 20 plus types of pickles. I'm not saying there were 20 jars of pickles. 20 plus different types of pickles for your burgers. That was a painful visit to the store for me. And on and on and on, we have more choice than we know what to do with. And choice, options, promote, encourage consumeristic tendencies, acting out of self-interest with little care for our responsibility towards others. What's the problem with all of this? The problem is simply consumerism promises happiness. Think about the billboard. You, you're driving on the road, you pass the billboard, it's for a cell phone. What do you see on that advert? You see a family with this cell phone and everybody in that photo is grinning ear to ear. Consumerism promises happiness and it never delivers. It fails to deliver every single time. Socrates said, he who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. And the biblical teaching is that our happiness is derived from the exact opposite of consumerism. The Bible teaches that we will find happiness when we act out of a sense of responsibility towards others and, that, and when we live in community, and we call that in the church service. Funny thing. So consumerism, number two, we are now consumers, plays a big part in our present discontent. You are listening to Timeless Truth Today. God has designed us to be citizens, members, associates. That's why a culture forms itself into towns, cities, associations, and most important of all, churches. Are you a member of a local church? Do you attend and support that church? And if not, why? Gospel-proclaiming churches are called the Bride of Christ. 
Our Savior said this to the Apostle Peter, quote, Upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, end quote. If you'd like to learn more about the need to be strengthened in Christ as part of a local congregation, we invite you to our website, timelesstruthtoday.org, timelesstruthtoday.org. Select Broadcasts on the homepage, and there you'll find an archive of solid Bible teaching, including this series. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Tomorrow we continue in our new series with part two of Disillusioned, Distracted, and Discontent. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.